This is Purple Elephant, where we bring the proverbial elephant to the table in order to deconstruct ableism, prejudice and misconceptions. On today's episode, we have Ellie Askew. She is a disability and LGBTQ plus blogger and activist. We talk about ableism and driving blind. Yep, that's a thing. Stay tuned and let us know what you think. There is this very ableist mannerism of seeing people as vulnerable or, for want of a better word, <laughs> a bit destitute. <laughs> it is like, true not, though, like, I mean, yeah. it's not because it's funny, but because it's true, because people genuinely believe that disabled people sit in their houses. Welcome Ellie and welcome to Purple Elephant. Hello, Sassy. It's nice to be here. Do you class yourself as a person with a disability? Yes, because I have a, a visual impairment that I've had um, all my life. So, yeah, in a nutshell. Do you use person first language? Yeah, I think so. Because then at the end of the day, it's just because someone has a disability doesn't mean that they are their disability. It's about the person first rather than their disability. That's really interesting because I'm the complete opposite to you. Like, I don't care that I'm called, like, the blind girl or um, blind sassy or whatever. I'm actually really happy with that. We're all different, aren't we? And this is why yeah. it's, it's great to have these topics of discussion with people who are not me. Because you get different ideas and context. So, to you, can you define ableism and what it means to you as a, as a person with a disability, please? It's when someone who doesn't have any impairment or disability I guess a little bit difficult to try and describe but when when they sometimes might use language that could be considered offensive to um, people who do have a certain type of disability or just aren't accommodating either um, by sheer ignorance or by willfulness excluding people who do have a disability from accessing certain services that's kind of like the best way that I can try and describe it I guess okay brilliant ableism is discrimination and social prejudice against those with disabilities or those who are perceived to have disabilities ableism characterizes persons as defined by their disabilities and inferior to those with able bodies so you've given your definition of ableism and that's kind of what the internet says about ableism would you agree with that yeah i think on a surface level obviously you know when someone is actually living it it's kind of a bit more intricate and there's lots of different aspects for the most part pretty kind of accurate description would you say that you as a disabled person have faced ableism or discrimination yeah i can i can definitely think of like a few how small they may may be defining moments when i can say oh yes actually that is discrimination or like ableism or what you know whatever you want to call it would you be willing to expand on that um i can remember one time well a few occasions when um in previous working experiences when we had training courses powerpoint presentations and we'd have like um printed handouts yeah my last employer um 
they they knew that I had a, a visual impairment and they um they never informed the um person who the outside trainer that I had a visual impairment and therefore there were never any enlarged documents for me to read through the powerpoint presentations they'd, they'd always be not minute print like small enough for me to find it difficult even using my phone as a magnifier to try and read them and they'd move quite quickly as well so yeah just accessing training was sometimes quite difficult and especially for like really important training like safeguarding we had a, another training called kosh which is specific to um like housekeeping roles in terms of uh working with harmful substances so those really big important um training sessions and I, I found it difficult to access written information mm -hmm. so just to clarify you although you have a visual impairment you are registered as, as partially sighted and you can read print that's correct yes yes yeah. so from what you were saying just then essentially uh to give the audience a bit more context when you were explaining about enlarging it that doesn't mean blowing it up to A3 size. That means enlarging the text print to a size that is readable and manageable for you with your visual impairment. What would that be? What text size would that be? Easily see without squinting, without having to bring the paper closer to my eyes or my face or hunching over. It'd have to be print size 24 or larger. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, like a pretty hefty enlargement from the usual size 12 font size yeah, 12 yeah of course but then that again you are you are visually impaired so for those people who are listening to this and, and don't live with a visual impairment that might sound large but really both of us went to uh college for the blind to do our a levels and there are people that read a much larger print than that so if you've got the capacity to enlarge it and make it print that a person with a visual impairment can still read then you should be doing that as an employer they're being brought in by someone else to do the training with you. So just to jump back to what you were saying as well with the PowerPoint presentations, with you living with a visual impairment, you can see some things. Um, so could you yeah. possibly explain what you can see? For those of you who are new to the podcast and to visual impairment. Probably one of the, the first and easiest ways that I can kind of describe my vision is really bad distance vision. So. The further things are away from me, the, the less clear they are, the less prominent and sort of in your face, you know, they are. Rather than just being um, nearsighted, it's also things that are just say reading uh, things on a page or seeing um, my phone screen. That, that sort of stuff is very difficult because it's the small details. I really struggle to try and um, make out, probably not as much as some other people with different um, visual impairments but things like depth perception and sometimes um, contrast and making out fine details can be really difficult so I guess to sum it up it's almost like I my my eyesight is like looking at a really old like watching your favorite movie on a really old crappy tv compared to a really amazing you know 50 or 72 inch hd 4k tv if that makes sense. So that's, that's a really great analogy, actually, because I, I think especially those who are sighted and, and wear glasses, 
we, as <laughs> you probably know what I'm going to say here, we always get the question, well, why can't you wear glasses? And our vision isn't correctable with glasses because if they, if it was, we would be wearing them. Um, yeah. So to give you, to give you details, like the HD and the 4K, it just isn't possible for the way that our eyes and our brains are wired together and the way they're connected. It's not that we um, can't see, but it's usually to do with detail, especially in your case and it was in my case. Um, yeah, and just like a quick note, for a lot of people, when I've, I've been asked quite a lot, you know, why don't you wear glasses? Why don't you have contact lenses? Why don't you get laser surgery and all of this? And I think, you know, in terms of the visual impairment side of things, having no medical abilities to correct that sight is what makes it a clinical visual impairment over someone just having bad sight. Mm. And I don't know if you agree with this or not. Those questions posed to you are actually ableist and a form of ableist language. Yes, because it, it just goes to show that people really, really, whether like have a subconsciously is they just don't understand the fact that not everything is correctable and yeah they just think oh yeah you know you'll be fine when actually it's it's not that easy mm. it's it's not as black and white i would say i would also go as far to say as well that ableism is as duly to do with ignorance and yeah i think we can really deconstruct ableism by educating ourselves and our peers but again it's not up to the disabled person to a share their life story with you or b educate you you as humans should be striving to educate yourself on disabilities. Um, you know, I'm not saying sit there for three years reading every book you can find on disabled people, ableism and, and whatnot, but take a moment, take a breath before you ask those questions. Why don't you get laser eye surgery? Why don't you wear glasses? Think, A, is this an appropriate question? And B, how would you feel if someone asked you those questions and you were in that position, but it wasn't just once off it was a daily occurrence in your life ellie i'm guessing that this isn't the first time those questions have been posed to you no <laughs> by no means i could with all my fingers and toes and all my limbs put together that still wouldn't be enough say how many times i've i've been asked those sort of questions i'm just like okay okay so yet another person to have to explain to that Nope, nope, my eyesight's not that great. It can't be corrected. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> you run a fabulous blog and I feel that you, like me, are an educator at heart and you share your own personal experiences about being visually impaired and in the LGBTQ plus community. But what would you say to listeners of this podcast about ableism and educating themselves? I would say yes you will have questions but make sure to stop and think about the person before asking stupid questions that that particular individual may have heard a million times before talk to the person and just see if they're willing to share their their experience because each person will have their own level of um confidence or uh, willingness to share their their story of their own disability and their own experiences so don't just assume that because you know that might be the first person with 
said disability that you've met don't make them your um your project to find out about the entirety of that community yeah and i think that's a beautiful point that you've illustrated there because you and i have been friends for hundreds of years uh, <laughs> and we've actually had deep dive discussions on these topics anyway and sometimes even our own opinions are varying so that just shows that even though we're both visually impaired um and especially back when i had some level of vision we wouldn't always agree on the terminologies i've always referred to myself as blind whereas you've always referred to yourself as partially sighted and those nuances are what makes a person a person and an individual so you can't really assume that it's okay to ask intrusive questions i personally feel that you just don't know why that person has that disability not every disability is from birth and that could actually be a very triggering and traumatic thing for the person when they're asked these questions about their disability and we you know i'm an educator at heart i would say that ellie is but i am far more open i i seek out humans i go and do speeches i speak on stage at conferences about traveling with a disability about what it's like to be blind and a guide dog user but not everyone is as passionate about sharing their story or sharing disability in context and so you really really have to be aware that you can ask questions but it doesn't mean you're going to get an answer and i i think i would really like to emphasize that people also if they say sorry i don't want to talk about this or please don't ask me that I, it's none of your business it's not okay to be offended by that because it's that person's personal choice and it's their life yeah no i totally agree because um i guess going back a little bit um say for example myself i have albinism but then other people with the exact same condition as me you know they will they they might not um like the term albino whereas some other people may actively say yes i am albino so it's really just about the person um you know their individual upbringing and their individual um willingness and um, openness with their condition or even just like the day and the situation and the context in which their their disability their visual impairment their their life story is being brought up in it really just does depend on the person and um where they where they're at and how they prefer to like what terminology they prefer to use and again that that might that might change again from day to day because like sometimes i'll use visually impaired mm -hmm. or um sometimes i might say partially sighted it literally just does depend and you've kind of just got to go with whatever language that person is using rather than trying to force your initiative onto that person yeah visual impairment is a spectrum and the thing is it isn't just visual impairment it's disability disability is a spectrum and what one person with the same eye condition as Ellie may have better or poorer vision in light or in the darkness or be able to read smaller or larger print. I feel that you should always be led by the person you're talking to. Yeah, because at the end of the day, as you say, Sassy, it's not, it's literally not a, a black and white cut and dry 
situation for every single person and you know take for example I, I know we're talking about visual impairment specifically but um say take the autistic spectrum it's called a spectrum because no two people lie on this on exactly the same point and i think that's where a lot of people get confused with with um, blindness and visual impairment that it it does seem to to be oh so you're visually impaired does that mean you can see nothing hmm. and yeah i think i think that's an, another issue again because of ignorance and you know miseducation and probably media stereotypes and all of this there's just so much it's just so much more intricate than like you can either see perfectly or you can see absolutely nothing whatsoever absolutely yeah i completely agree with that and i think unfortunately the media have a lot to answer for whether it's you know from journalism all the way through to hollywood blind people are perceived as you know uncool untrendy that we don't take care of our appearance that we all use a white cane and wear dark glasses and you know there, there probably is a very small majority of the world who look like that but that's really not everyone's story and i was gonna say i i look very cool a hundred percent of the time <laughs> just so everyone knows <laughs> and you don't always use a cane either do you so people aren't going to know that you have a visual impairment yeah that's right like i must admit because of um, the current situation that we find ourselves in what with the pandemic and um social distancing 99 percent of the time when i'm going out unless i'm literally just popping up to my local shop which is at the top of my road I will use a cane of some form whether that be a guide cane or a long cane could you just sorry to interrupt you could you explain the difference between the two please yes so the black golf club handle um and has the roller tip or 99% of the time will have a roller tip ball on the end and people will um swing that from left to right as they're walking or um some people prefer to tap the cane from left to right as they're walking but a guide cane is slightly shorter um and generally has what's called a pencil tip at the end um, so that one doesn't really touch the floor at all and is just used to for people like myself who does who do have a bit of vision um and we can we can see when things are coming up but it's just like an extra layer of kind of tapping an object say when it's spin day and you know you might not always know the distance between um lamp post that is coming up on your left you can kind of see both objects but you can't tell the exact distance and how much space you have between the two so you kind of just gently tap them either the the bin or the lamp post and then you can carry on going so it's not like you're rolling um and finding every single object probably bump into if you didn't um have the cane I, that's a very bad description a very long-winded way of saying it but i hope that makes some sort of sense 
the point on ableism with you being out and about and socializing she was saying that you know right now we're in this global pandemic and social distancing is is difficult for people with visual impairments um and you've had some incidences would you like to explain <laughs> yes. those stories with us Yes. Hey, so blind story time. Here we go. So I've been using the lawn cane more so when it's really bright and sunny outside, simply because part of my condition means that um, I have photophobia, sensitivity to light. So this this particular shop, they, they have uh, a member of staff at the front of the shop, allowing people and uh, informing people when they can go in so they can control the number of people within the store to help maintain social distancing within the store. Anyway, on quite a few occasions, I've gone, I've gotten to the front of the queue and it's been with the same member of staff every single time. And this member of staff has waved at me so many times, just okay. waved at me. Just to clarify, she is yeah. visually impaired and yeah. doesn't have great distance perception. So yeah. waving. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I have my cane out, you know, just just to let the, just to let them know that I'm visually impaired. Terrifying. You're not swinging it around your head like a lightsaber, are you? <laughs> there was only that one occasion that I did that, but we won't go into that story. <laughs> so on a couple of occasions, like people behind me in the queue said, "Oh, you know, you can go in now." The, the member of staff's waving. Like a few visits later, a few days later, whenever I went, I go back to this same um, shop. The same person is on the front. Um, manning the doors he was waving at me for I don't know how long he decided that the most appropriate thing to do during a pandemic <laughs> um, would be to come up tap me on the shoulder just get close to me up in my personal space tap me on the shoulder and say you can go in now and I was like disgraceful yeah first off we're in a pandemic you could be carrying the virus I could be carrying the virus you don't know we could be, we could both be putting each other at risk. Mm -hmm. And B, how on earth do you go? How does the, that cross, that thought cross your mind that it's appropriate to go up to someone who has a clear visible mobility aid, like for visual impairment, and decide that it's okay to tap them on the shoulder? Yeah. Because you don't know what level of sight that person has. Um, you know, you don't know if how disorientating that could be for that person at all. It could just be any random person tapping that, you know, that, that visually impaired person on the shoulder. And just to clarify, he didn't actually give you any audible cues that he A, was coming across or to, to ask you to step inside the shop. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. He just blase as you will, just comes up and it's like, you know, as you say, no, no verbal cues. It's like, hello, <laughs> going to the shop now with the tap. And I'm like, luckily, because I have enough sight, when he did get closer, I could recognise that he was a member of staff. But, you know, just say my sight had been worse. I wouldn't have known what was going on. No, and it's, you know, it's quite scary because I say it's scary and I, I don't want to put people off like the general public if, for example, they were to perceive that we might need 
um, attention drawing to something. But with visual impairment generally, a verbal audible cue is more than sufficient. And I know we are definitely in an era of LGBTQ plus where, you know, someone might be trans and you might not know, but for example, he could say, excuse me, miss, I'm so-and-so, you can come into the shop now. And that yeah. would have been more than sufficient. And yeah. I just, I, I honestly can't comprehend why he thought that was A, acceptable from one, one individual to another with a visual impairment, but also as you rightly stated at the beginning, it's a fucking pandemic. <laughs> I know, again, you know, some people might call this fear a bit ableist, but I presume one of the reasons why people fear losing their sight so much is because of these quote unquote horror stories or these kind of very vulnerable stories that or experiences that we have to experience but that's simply again because people are so misinformed about how to correctly communicate with someone with a visual impairment yeah absolutely and like i will honestly put my hands up and say that as a as a child, I was diagnosed with arthritis and I was a wheelchair user for eight years. My arthritis went to my eyes, started attacking it, and that's why I'm registered with blindness and visual impairment. So from that perspective, I was a wheelchair user and I felt like the world was inaccessible for me. But when I started to lose my vision, and I didn't know at this particular point, Anyone else who had lived with vision loss, whether they, you know, were born with it as you were, Ellie, or, you know, other people that had lost their, their vision through whatever. I had such internalized ableism about going blind that I quite openly said to just about anyone that would listen, don't worry, I wasn't standing on a street corner with a megaphone. <laughs> and I wasn't far off saying that if I was to lose my sight completely, I'd kill myself. Hmm. Because we are bombarded with like negative stories of people who have lost their sight, especially in like horrific circumstances. Say, for example, uh, um, you know, there was news stories about that poor policeman that was injured during duty. He was shot in the face and he was blinded. And then he only a few weeks later took his life. And hmm. that was because he felt that he had nothing to live for because his vision loss was all encompassing he felt that his vision was who he was and being a police officer that was who he was and he he couldn't continue with life and that makes me so sad because there are visually impaired people within the police force he might not have been on the beat per se but that you can still work and live a good life with visual impairment and with total blindness and i would like to say that without Trump in my own trumpet um, I'm one of those people and I feel like this is why these discussions need to be had and why I started the podcast in the first place because I was that person I believed that having no vision was was the worst thing that could possibly happen to me and now I'm very aware that the worst thing that could possibly happen to me is death and life and death is a cycle we know that but I think everything in between as long as there's the right support and the right access, 
which is everything I received from losing my vision, then you can live a very, very happy life with any disability. Yeah, and I think this thought process of people who don't have any form of vision loss or don't know anyone personally who has either been born with any form of vision um, impairment or you know they don't have a family member or whoever with who's gone through the experience of vision loss i think there is this very ableist mannerism of seeing people as vulnerable or for want of a better word <laughs> a bit destitute <laughs> it is like, true though like i mean yeah. it's not because it's funny but because it's true because people genuinely believe that disabled people sit in their houses say for example our personal vision impairment they sit in a little rocking chair with their face pressed up against the window be like Whoa, my <laughs> and i'm like that isn't that isn't reality it might be part of your grieving process but it's not your yeah. for the rest of your life yeah and i mean for me i've had my visual impairment all my life and to a certain extent you know i may i may look quite unquote sighted but yeah even even having had my visual impairment all my life and you know just having known no different yeah it is one of those things that so there are days when it, it might make you a little bit more like frustrated or angry or just like oh I don't want to have to deal with this anymore but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that you can't achieve like if if someone said to me three four years ago oh in 2020 you'll be grading for your black belt in taekwondo i would have been not again not because of my sight or some people might be like but you're visually impaired how can you be training to to become a black belt and i'll be like because i'm a normal human being you you have wants ambitions and needs and yeah so can we deep dive into that can you explain to us how your instructor has made Taekwondo accessible for you? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, there's not been a lot of adaptations simply because of the way that he generally teaches the class anyway. Whenever he's he's giving us instructions, movements or certain um, like self-defense techniques that he's teaching us, he will automatically be very descriptive in what he's doing. And yeah, just give a like a good overall explanation and then if anyone in the class needs any extra like guidance or assistance he's just automatically very happy to help out and just give a bit more physical interaction to help anyone in the class get a grasp of that technique in that respect he's already very accessible in the way that he teaches so, but I think one thing that I've noticed is with so with Taekwondo we do like free sparring which is where you have to wear all of the protective gear and competitions and gradings you you spar with other or fight with other people so yeah he's been very helpful in giving more one-to-one -one help like one-to-one -one kind of sparring sessions just with me and then also kind of adapting things so with taekwondo is you know a lot of things might um contain a lot of kick routines but he's like yeah because of your vision impairment get in closer get in so that you have more time to see when other people are potentially going to hit you or 
you know make sure you don't give the other person the opponent the opportunity to kick you so I guess it's just kind of making those very tiny adaptations for me personally so yeah I think I uh, but I would like to highlight that because that could be just his teaching style but it shows how accessible sports can be made for people with disabilities in your case specifically for doing taekwondo with visual impairment i think it's just one of those things where being visually impaired doesn't stop you from doing anything like i know there's um flying a plane <laughs> being a brain <laughs> surgeon <laughs> well yes yeah, so I, th I think i think we should give that a go just to you know <laughs> if, anyone, if anyone wants some brain surgery free on us <laughs> you know where to come so yeah it just goes to show that there's there's accessible ways of approaching nearly everything obviously <laughs> most people probably wouldn't want us to trust us to be their taxi drivers but hey i'm a wicked driver <laughs> you and me have been in the same car and driven <laughs> so i would like to say that i'm a fantastic driver i was told that if i wasn't blind i would be very good i'd be a very good student so thank you <sighs> Yes, I, th I think I think the fact that we're both still alive is good. Well, testament. yeah, that's that's compliment <laughs> probably to the to the driving instructor who had dual control. Because <laughs> I I do remember there was one instance where uh, we were in the car with with the person that shall not be named. Um, let's keep their identity safe and hidden. And uh, she was told to slow down, and she continued to put her foot on the accelerator. <laughs> where the driving instructor actually had to slow her down by <laughs> putting his foot on the brake and changing gears. So maybe she just is a bit of a speed demon. You never know. <laughs> well, you know, it's all about it's all about the speed for us blind people. That's true. So yeah, we <laughs> from. Uh, ableism all the way through to blind people driving cars folks that is the life of being visually impaired ellie you've been a fantastic guest and obviously you're just a wonderful human being and i will say you are very very privileged to be on the first ever episode <laughs> of oh. <laughs> well no i think i think it's you who should be privileged to have had me on as your first guest so <laughs> thank you for allowing me to grace grace the airwaves <laughs> <laughs> is there anything you'd like to add to the topic of ableism or just to share your blog and social media so people can find you out in the world is again just to reinforce the point of if slash when you do encounter someone who is visually impaired just take their lead and get to know the person and learn from them the best that you can without being too intrusive so you can find me on facebook at my life my story on twitter at lea official and on instagram again at lea official i definitely recommend that you follow ellie on social media and her blog uh she's probably sassier than i am <laughs> i think over the years her sassiness is, has outshone mine and uh, that is saying something, especially in the capacity of writing on her blog. But you'll have a lot of laughs and most importantly, you'll be educated too. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Purple Elephant, What is Ableism? With me, your host, Sassy White, and my lovely friend, Ellie Askew. Don't forget to follow her. And if you would mind, if you think we're worthy, rate us on iTunes and share this podcast around help yourself and others become a better human being.